and welcome to Series 1, Episode 1 of Heart Points. Hello, Boo Bear. Hello. Um, so, uh, Heart Points is a new podcast that uh, the two of us are going to be doing. My name is Zach. My name is Diana. Uh, and this is a couples one-on-one roleplay podcast um, starring Zachary and Diana. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're going to play a variety of games together and share the stories with you. Um, we are going to be one of now many, 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 many role-playing game podcasts that are on the internet, but we hope that you enjoy this one. Um, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be just the two of us, myself GMing and Diana playing a character and uh, across different games. Yeah. And occasionally we might have some guests. Yes, that is an end goal. Um, is that we can do other series and, and incorporate other couples and, and play a bunch of different games. So, uh, Diana, why did we choose the name Heart Points? Why are we Heart Points? We are Heart Points because we are a married couple who mm-hmm. are in love most of the time and who occasionally, and by occasionally, I mean he makes me play role-playing games, and we are going to be podcasting it, just the two of us, because yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. that's what we're doing. Um, absolutely, right. Uh, and I, we settled on heart points because we were talking about different names and liked the idea of HP, heart points, uh, this currency that goes into games. Um, and I was actually trying to look up games that use HP as heart points, and there's not many. I think like Zelda refers to HP as heart points. Most of the other ones are health points. Ah, so, so we're unique. Or we're just wrong. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's fine, because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. We get to make it up. The whole world is made up. Uh, yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so uh, who are we? We should introduce ourselves. Um, Diana, would you like to go first? Sure. My name is Diana. Um, I am, by day, a school counselor for literally any and all children. And by night, I am a prisoner to... A superhero. Uh, well, I wish. No. By night, I am a prisoner to my husband's... I was going to say role-playing game fantasies, but that just sounds really wrong. Yeah. So okay. I just, I am, I play role-playing games with my husband. This is sounding really wrong, so I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. A, a small glimpse into Diana's personality. So, uh, okay. Let's put a pin in that, and we'll get back to that in, like, a couple minutes. My name is Zach, um, and I am a... Uh, Professor. Yes, I'm an adjunct professor. Um, today was my actual the my last day of substitute teaching at a high school, which was an experience. But I am an adjunct professor and of of English, and of I teach a course on role playing games because I'm really passionate about role playing games. I'm really passionate about games, and I'm also a writer. And I try I write fiction. I've had a few short stories published, and I'm working on some other stuff. Uh, but mostly, I'm a big nerd. And I have a lot of role-playing games. And that's partially where this came from, is that I have dozens and dozens of role-playing games, and I want to play them. And it's hard to get a big group together, but now uh, the two of us are going to play them as an excuse to get through them. Yes. You guys can't see it, but we have bookshelf just full of role-playing games. So it'll be fun to get through some of them. We'll show it off sometime. Maybe. We both have experience with role-playing games yes. and playing games. 
Uh, and it's a very different experience. It's a very different background. Um, and it comes from different areas, largely in that I'm the only one who was interested in them. Yes. Um, and I kind of dragged Diana along. Yep. My history with role-playing games is that I always wanted to play them when I was younger. Uh, when I was in high school, I was like really obsessed with the idea of MMOs. But I didn't really want to play an MMO. All I really wanted was to have complete and utter like freedom in a game with my friends, right? Um, and I think I partially knew that at the time what I actually wanted was D&D. But I didn't have any concept of d and I didn't really have any access to D&D. Partially because there's actually a pretty big paywall behind D&D. Especially when I was in high school, which was, I think, 3.5 edition. Which was still very, like, miniatures-based um, Still like very war games based. I think I don't really play D and D for all the D for all like the role playing games I do play. I don't really play D and D. In high school, I really wanted to play. No one ever would play with me. And then in college, um, our junior year, yes. while we were uh, we had just started dating. Nope. No, not our junior year. Our sophomore, our sophomore year. Sophomore year. When we started we had just dating. started dating. Yeah. God, our, don't know the dates. Gosh. I. Yeah, I know. I'm bad. <laughs> but I found in the psych department, in the psych department, I, there was a box of uh, Hunter the Reckoning games just sitting on the floor. Um, For free. He didn't steal them. Well, well, uh, I'm pretty sure they were for free. I can't quite remember if it said free. They were for free. The box. They were for free. Um, but they were just sitting in the hallway in a box and no one was looking after them. And it was like, <laughs> I waited uh, some time. And it was a combination between finding that and getting really into Firefly. Yes. Which we had been watching a lot. And so I got Hunter the Reckoning and Firefly. Mm-hmm. And that was the first game we played. Yes. And it was a hot mess. Firefly it, was. And that's because we played with inexperienced players who didn't understand what a role-playing game was or how they really work. And we were obviously playing with an inexperienced GM who understood the mechanics of it but there i think is fair to say there is a lot of there's a big there's a bit of a learning curve when you're a gm like you can read the book but it's different when you actually have players in front of you doing things and deciding to shoot somebody in the back of the head yeah absolutely not only is it hard to know just how to gm in general like every different game runs differently Mm -hmm. so you have to know how to run that game and i just was not prepared for that that Serenity role-playing yep. game session was the first session I ever played, and you actually played in that with me. I did. I have played in almost every single game or new game that you've tried to play. I think we discovered that there was one game I have not played with you, but every single game that you've attempted to have sessions for or GM for or DM for, I have played with you. I have been your guinea pig. Yeah, at least one session of every game, I think. Um, And I've played a lot more, like, individual sessions than you have. Uh, But I think every game that I've ever GM'd, you've played a session of. Yes. Except for, I think, Hunter the Reckoning. Yes. I don't think you ever played a game of Hunter the Reckoning. I don't think so either. We should do that. Maybe. It is a hot mess of a game. Okay. It's a lot of fun. All right. Uh, Do you remember what you built when you played um, Serenity? What I built? Yeah, what character did you build? I was a cook. Because I, in the beginning, was always a cook. I don't think that's true. I think I was. I think Weren't I Weren't you a mute pilot? Was I a mute mechanic? I think you were a mute mechanic. I think I was a mute mechanic. 
because I didn't have to talk. Yeah, and you took the empath skill because you did. were going to be like River. Yes. I remember that. That's right. Yeah. And then after that, I was always the cook. After that, you were always the cook yeah. for a long time. Because I didn't know how to do anything else. Yeah. So I, was, I was the cook healer. It was a really weird mix. I was a really weird character. I mean, it worked. We made yeah. it work, but I, I like... I wonder if as Serenity we, is a broken game. As a... Well, I mean, we haven't played it since you first started. Since that one time. I think that I think it. that was the one and only session I ever played of Serenity. Yeah, it was. And uh, I think I just gave up. <laughs> to be fair, again, to be fair, you played... That was a hot... There was like seven people playing, and then you as the GM, and none of us had ever played before except for like one person who played D&D, and that's not the same thing. Yeah, we had no idea what we no, were doing. No, it was hot mess. It was a hot mess. That was my start. Yeah. Right? And... It kind of just became an obsession from there, or and by obsession is fair to say no. A more fair way to say it would be a passion. No, um, agree to disagree. And now, <laughs> uh, now I really uh, I like them. I like role playing games for a whole host of reasons. I think they're a really valuable medium, a really valuable art form, and so I just kind of like really dig into them. And you have not played as much as I have. No. Uh, but you did start doing something interesting recently. I did. Um, as I previously stated, I am a school counselor. And a really big thing that school counselors have to do is when students, maybe they're on the spectrum or they just have trouble making friends or they're just a little bit weird, um, they get referred to the school counselor usually for individual or group counseling sessions. And something that I have started to do this year is I found a role-playing game that was pretty simple, very easy on the player, and I've started having some some of my groups playing a role-playing game. And it's a really non-intensive, non-scary way to practice those social skills, asking for help, arguing with someone, uh, befriending someone new that you don't know, bartering, really a, a whole host of skills. It just helps you practice it in a non I keep trying to say non-intensive way, but that's not right. Um, yeah, you're, in well, a non-intimidating way. Yeah, in a non-intimidating way. You're in the magic circle of right. the game. So you feel more confident pushing boundaries and trying things that you might not normally feel comfortable doing right. in the real world. And you, But you still get some of that like feedback, that like emotional response of right. doing the thing in the real world, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and it definitely helps because as the GM, I am in control of the NPC's responses. So if a student says that they go up to somebody and they just take the thing out of their hand, I get to control how that person responds. So I get to manipulate in a way what I'm going to be teaching that student and what yeah. skill I want them to be using. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, um, definitely is. So we are both using role-playing games in a sort of academic context and in a very like just for fun context. Um, would you say that I'm using it in a just for fun context, or would you say I'm along for the ride on your just for fun context? Are you saying you do not enjoy the games that you play with me? No, I do enjoy them. Yeah, I enjoy them. We've been playing a long running Torchbearer campaign. Yes, uh, which is now in its what session just wrapped? Eleventh session. I don't know. Um, which is really one of the longest campaigns I've run. Um, I do kind of tend to run. Actually, no, that's not true. I've run a couple Apocalypse World-like campaigns that were longer. They usually just kind of, like, fizzle out because people move, people go back to school. Yeah. Like, we're kind of just entering that phase where people aren't going back to school. Yeah. So... It's weird role-playing as an adult. Yes. Rather than a, a college kid. It's definitely different. Which, uh, I'm assuming that if you are listening to our podcast already, you're already familiar with role-playing games. So I don't think we need to go too much into it. But um, but just in case yeah. you're not familiar, 
a role-playing game? Actually, I'm very interested. Diana, how would you define a role-playing game? <laughs> oh, God. All right. How <sighs> would... How, okay. How? All right. All right. Here's how I would define a role-playing game. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, a person who has read the rules and the book... Or whoever just feels like making up the rules as you go. I tend to be a little bit more loosey-goosey with this stuff. That person gathers their friends. And those friends are given sheets. And they get to make up whatever character they want. And they have to abide by the rules of the GM. And the GM is the master. It's like God. It's like playing God. That's what what role-playing games are. They are like God and you are the ants. That was actually pretty close to uh, Vincent Baker's What is a Role-Playing Game? Uh-huh. And um, I've never... I have no idea what that is. It's a role-playing game that Vincent Baker made about being a... About what a role-playing game is. Awesome. Uh, which was in response to Epidiah Ravikal doing the same thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, name-dropping. I know. Um, so Impressive. I think a lot of what you just said was right. A, a role-playing game involves one or more people setting a stage and, and setting and building up a setting and then one or more people taking control of individual characters to interact with that setting right yeah um and lots of times there are character sheets or something so that you know all right well these are what my character is capable of doing yes this is how likely they are to succeed at something and there's usually some sort of mechanic there's a uh, a dice rolling mechanic or a card draw mechanic or something else I describe it to my students because they don't understand any of that as a video game with no computers. Yeah, I mean that's another pretty accurate it's, way to describe it. They got it instantly. Yeah. They got it instantly. And well, I mean there's a lot of truth to that, right? I mean, like the role-playing game video game genre came from tabletop games. A lot of the same tropes that you see in modern fantasy t- role-playing games started with Dungeons and Dragons. And that's something to keep in mind. That's something that we're going to talk about whenever we start a new game and we start a new series. Yeah. We're going to talk about, all right, well, this is what the game is and this is how it works and this is what we're interested in. This is what we're looking forward to. So why don't we start with that with the first game that we're going to be playing, uh, the first game of our first series, which is Dungeon World. Woohoo! Yeah. So what is Dungeon World? Dungeon World is a game written by Sage Latora and Adam Coble. They are game designers who took Apocalypse World, which is one of my favorite games, and they created a fantasy game out of Apocalypse World. Um, And at the time, I don't think it was really called this, but now it's referred to as Powered by the Apocalypse. I always call it Apocalypse Engine because I like that phrase better. Um, As he adjusts his glasses, guys. As he adjusts his glasses. Call me out. But it's it's Powered by the Apocalypse. And now there are so many Powered by the Apocalypse Mm -hmm. games uh, because it's just a very... um, it's a very clean system. It's a very like natural system. Uh, it's you roll two d six and you add a stat. If you get ten or more, a good thing happens. Right. If you get seven or nine, a middling thing happens. If you get a six or below, a bad thing happens. It's the system I use with my students. Yeah, and and Dungeon World was one of the first uh, to take the Apocalypse World system and reskin it, um, which I don't think is quite fair because they really did like re totally retool it. Um, it's not really fair to say that they just reskinned it because they did make an entirely new game based like using this engine. Um, but but they rebuilt a, they they built 
one of the biggest, most popular, and first Apocalypse Engine games, and it might even be more popular than Apocalypse World, which to me is kind of a shame because I love Apocalypse World so much. And we have played, well, you've only played one session of Dungeon World. Yes. And we played... We did a campaign for Apocalypse World that someone else ran. Yeah. No, I ran it. No, What are you talking about? Online with a friend of yours that was in a different state. He ran it digitally via Skype. And then Dungeon World. Didn't you say Apocalypse World? I don't remember now. I got really confused, guys. Um, So we've played lots of sessions of Apocalypse World, but you've only played one (laughs) session of Dungeon World, right? Yes. Uh, And we played... Slave Pits of Drazu, I think yes. is what's called, by I, Jason Morningstar. Sounds right. I've GM'd Dungeon World a few times, and it doesn't feel as clean as Apocalypse World does to me. Like, Apocalypse World just clicks, like, very naturally for me. Mm-hmm. The Dungeon World, I feel like, takes a lot of what Apocalypse World does very well and works dungeons and dragons in and i feel like it kind of clogs up the system a little bit Mm -hmm. but i also feel like that's necessary it's like a mix in between i mean obviously because that's what's intended to be is a mix between dungeons and dragons and apocalypse world right and for the longest time i did it with you it felt more natural like i felt like i knew what i was doing what did you think of it when we played the first time i thought it went pretty smoothly my biggest issue is that we had been we're obviously in the middle of this Torchbearer campaign mm-hmm. and this is a really different system than Torchbearer. And so I was having a hard time switching my brain. So like every time I wanted to do something, I was double checking myself and asking and there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with that. It just slows the game down a little bit. And so I just had a hard time switching my brain over, but I did like it and I thought especially for that one-off session, I thought it was really fun. I thought it was really good and really easy because when we did that one off session we had somebody who had never played a role-playing game before that's true and she did amazeballs yeah yeah she she like rocked it yeah no she did pick it up really easily um and i think that's something to be said about uh about the apocalypse world systems and about dungeon world specifically is it's really good for it's very intuitive um in a lot of ways especially for the players for me it's a little bit harder because it is like um, Apocalypse World is 100% like fiction based and you build up everything through the fiction and you have a lot of freedom in the fiction. In Torchbearer, for example, or like Dungeons and Dragons, it's very uh, strict and set. You do a lot of pre-planned prep you organize everything and everything is a little bit more static once you kind of you kind of like set down, this thing and you you put the players through it like a maze right you build this maze and then you let the players run through it crunchy yeah in apocalypse world you don't do that you everything grows like very organically together as a group not just the gm like the gm i never come with anything like fully formed to an apocalypse world game because we're gonna figure it out in play dungeon world was always really hard for me because it kind of felt in the middle you need like that you need a dungeon you need a mission you need something to make the players do mm-hmm. but it's also designed the same way as apocalypse world where things are supposed to grow a little or more organically right um and i had trouble with that for a long time but i think i'm pretty comfortable with it now do you think that's because of your previous experiences with this specific game or do you think it's just because now you're becoming better as a gm 
Uh, maybe both. I like to think that I'm getting better as a GM and that I'm kind of learning how to uh, think on my feet more and build things more on the fly, which is something specifically that I'm going to try to focus on as we play. Things like asking leading questions um, and kind of the two of us co-developing the setting. I haven't done a ton of pre-campaign work for this. And we've talked about what I would like, what I would like to do, but I'm planning on having us build it together, build the setting, build the story together, um, to the point that I don't, uh, I haven't like really decided, you know, what the big bad is going to be. I have a couple ideas, but I, I want you to, to have a say in in how the setting looks, what happens, and and how that goes. Awesome, cool. Yeah. So the first session is going to be our next episode. But uh, I did kind of want to talk about the setting that we're going to play in and your character, because we did some work on your character, but I think we could build your character in this episode. Sure. Uh, Because in Dungeon World, it's really easy. It's nothing like Dungeons & Dragons, where it takes forever. Uh, You kind of just need to pick a name and put down your stats. And I'll help you go over some of that stuff. The setting for this is called Sagranza. I'm proud of you. That sounded kind of Portuguese. Segurança? Segurança. Segurança? Segurança. And Segurança is a massive city Mm -hmm. in the desert steppes of um, Esha. It's this huge fortified walled city that exists in this desert, and you are on your way there. And that's really the only thing that I wanted us to have pre-planned before we go in. And I have a lot of ideas on, on how Segurança is going to look and, and how it's going to function, but nothing really set in stone. I just wanted your character to be on their way to this desert city called Segurança and to have kind of this... Um, I have an idea of a very um, desert, Middle Eastern, African uh, sword and sorcery vibe. Uh, like... Um, a lot of like Hyborian Age Conan had like this very um don't know what that means sword and sorcery did you never see any of the Conan movies no me neither actually <laughs> I don't know why I said that um I I did see Aladdin which is right. not the same thing okay yeah I mean I I think uh, Segurança is going to be nothing like Agaba, <laughs> but um I think that's kind of this a similar sort of vibe that I kind of want to go for. Okay. This heat, this the heat and color and danger that you do see in like Aladdin mm-hmm. even or or the sword and sorcery of Conan. That had Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, right? It did. I should, I should have watched that. Yeah. yeah, we should do that. I read on our honeymoon, I did read we, we went on a cruise for a honeymoon and I had a a book of sword and sorcery that I was reading like that the first day we were on the cruise and I was like Very so romantic. seasick and uh, I went up to the top deck I don't know what you were I don't know what you were doing you were doing something probably reading a romance novel actually yeah no I think yeah we were no I think we were was I walking around with I our think friend you went off, yes I think you went off with Kim um, and I was up on the top deck with Rob and I was reading what what might be my first Conan? No, yeah, my first full Conan story, and it was I think it's called the Temple of the Elephant. It's really racist. It's like it was like really racist. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, 
It's just like so crazy racist. Shouldn't surprise you either. No, it, I mean, <laughs> it didn't really. I you was just sound like, a little wow. surprised. I mean, I guess I was surprised at the scope of it. Just how racist. It was so racist. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger was in it. No, no, that's different. That's a different thing. <laughs> I mean, they made it's, it was the stories that the movie was based mm-hmm. off of, but it wasn't the exact... Listen, <laughs> our story's not going to have that. We're not going to have overt racism? No. You sure? No. Kay. Or non-overt. I just... None. <laughs> let's aim for, let's aim for a, 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 a net n- negative? Net neutral? Zero. We're aiming for zero racism. <laughs> that's that's our goal. Oh man, if it's like Conan, I don't know if we can do it. I think I think for basing can. it on Conan. I think you can. And Am I, also, I saying that weird Conan? Conan. Conan. Conan is Conan. the late show host. Is that not the same name? I mean, it's spelled the same. So then it's the same name. So Conan. Conan. Whichever doesn't matter. Whichever. Anyway, um, but no, and I mean, you can also tell by the name. It's Segrasa. Um. It, which means safety in Portuguese um, for this big walled city. So I do kind of want to incorporate some, some. I don't know, I, I want the language to be based in Portuguese yeah. um, and steal some of uh, what I've stolen from your culture. So real quick, for those of you who don't know and haven't been able to piece it together, I'm Portuguese and have occasionally yelled things in a different language at my husband, and he's picked up on it over the years. By that, you mean every day? Not every day. Um, I'll always yell things at you. I yell random things at you. That's true. So yeah, so we have this desert setting, this massive walled city that's tucked within a valley for its own protection. The desert is is this dangerous, dangerous, harsh place where 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 demons roam and where uh, bandits rove. And Danger. I want your character to be on the way to the city. No. So, <laughs> no. Okay, all right. My character's so. not doing that. <laughs> um, but to that end, we uh, we sat down and we were trying to figure out well, what kind of character do we want to build? So, so what was important mm-hmm. to you when we sat down to to make this character? I wanted to play a character that I I don't typically play. I've been trying to make myself do that. As I've said earlier, um, I for a long time would play what I considered a safe character. I was always the cook or the medic, or before that, my very first one, I was a mute, so I didn't have to speak at all during our <laughs> role play. Yeah. Um, and I've been trying to break out of that a little bit. When we did Apocalypse World, I was a battle babe. Um, for our torchbearer, I am not even a human. I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more adventurous, which isn't very adventurous at all, but I am still trying to be a little bit adventurous because I do tend to pick the same characters. So I went with a backstory that I'd never gone with before, and I went with a character uh, type, I guess, that I had never done before. So I I knew what I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be the helper. I didn't want to be just the straight-up brute, though someday I will be the straight-up brute because I just want to be like, most pound, most pound, most punch in face. Like, I want that to be my thought process someday, but not, not right now. Baby steps. We gotta do this in baby steps. Exposure therapy. You know, small steps. It was really important to me that I was a character that I had never been before. That I was doing something that I had never done before. But I am not very creative. So I looked to movies for my inspiration. And there are several movies for my backstory. Now, I don't think that that's not 
creative. Uh, I mean, I think that's pretty standard. I think a lot of people do do that. They turn to they turn to media for the seeds of their characters. And I think you're going to find that your character is probably going to change from what you had originally envisioned it. Yeah, probably. Right? Your character in our Torchbearer campaign is a halfling bandit named Bray. Uh, is Bray, like, ten sessions in, anything how you first envisioned her? Yes. Is she? Yeah. She doesn't care about people except orphans. Yeah, you did make... You made her a pretty... Uh, she's pretty standard. Yeah. She doesn't like people. Yeah. She just wants money so that she can put a sign. This I keep saying this. She is aiming to put a sign on her front door. She just wants to gather enough resources to buy some land, have a house, have a front door where she could put a sign on it that says no party admittance or whatever it is that Frodo or Bilbo says. I can't remember right now. All the nerds are dying. All of them. <laughs> I would like to point out that as she says this, about four sessions ago, they found a deed to a house in a house and then the party proceed to burn it down. So, Bray's dream. I still have the deed, and I still... It's the land. It's the deed to the land, okay. you said, not yeah. the house. Yeah. So I still have the deed to the land. I intend on going back. Good. I'm just saying. So, uh, what characters did you turn to for inspiration for your character? The movie Chasing Liberty with Mandy Moore. That's new. I didn't know that. Yeah. So she is the president's daughter, and she gets really like, oh, dad, you're too protective. I need to go out on my own. And so she runs away. And he sends this like really attractive guy after her to be her secret bodyguard. But she doesn't know he's her bodyguard. She thinks it's just this guy that she meets up with and she falls in love with him and he crosses boundaries. It's super inappropriate as a secret service member. And then he quits and then they end up together at the end. Spoiler alert. Sorry, guys. It's really, it's a really romantic movie, but there are several movies based on I'm the daughter of the president and I am running away. I was going to say, isn't there like a Disney original movie? Yeah. What is that called? Um, I just Googled the president's daughter and that's apparently not it. (laughs) I don't know the Disney one, but there is one with... Is it called My Date with the President's Daughter? Yeah. Well, yeah. She runs away then too, but... um, (laughs) Katie Holmes did one as well where she was the president's daughter and she ran away. Okay. Let me find out what that one's called. Let's find out. That one was That's called... That's right. It, my Date with the President Star was starring the big brother from yes. that show. Oh, my God. From loved. Boy Meets World. Yeah, what is wrong one. with you? Um, God. First Daughter is the one with uh, Katie Holmes, where she's the president's daughter, and she runs away. There are several, and there are also scenes in other movies where this happens. Amanda Bynes is the daughter what? of a nobleman in a movie and she's American and he's British and she goes to England and at some point she's supposed to go to this function and she runs away with a cute British guy. Like, you know, women being rebellious and running away from their powerful fathers. That was my inspiration for this. And there are a lot of movies from the late 1990s and early 2000s that represent this. That I loved. Yay, President Daughter movies. Look at Will Freddy with a beard. No, don't do that. Don't ruin him. Don't ruin him. It's amazing. Don't ruin him. Now, we did talk about, well, we talked about Jasmine from Aladdin. We did. Yeah, she does it too. Um, there was Toph Beifong. We yes, talked about specifically. We did. We did talk about um, Toph. Oh, and Arya Stark. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she doesn't run away from her dad. That's Yeah, yeah. But, but she was still, like, lost. She was still running away. Yes. Um, she was still fleeing. Um, and uh, had, these characters were strong in lots of different ways, mm-hmm. right? Um they so, were they were rebellious in some ways, trying to make it out on their own, 
were all chased down in some way. Yes. Um, but all like capable of holding their own. Yeah, they're all strong women. Yeah. So we uh, we took a look at the playbooks and didn't really see anything that we thought really fit this kind of this character that you wanted to play that you were interested in right. playing. So what I did was I found a supplement to Dungeon World called Class Warfare by John Stone Metzger, mm-hmm. which allows you to build your own class. Neato. Um, and we put together uh, a couple different archetypes to to build a class. And I have never done this before. But looking over the class that we built, it seems pretty balanced. And if it and if it's unbalanced, honestly, I'm not too concerned about it because this is a one-on-one campaign. There's going to be some balance issues anyway, and you're not going to be underbalanced. If anything, you'll be a little bit overpowered, which I think... Loosey-goosey, guys. Loosey-goosey. Well, I think Party of One... You can afford to be a little overpowered, right? That mm-hmm. gives us some wiggle room. If I'm not, I've never played a one-on-one session before. That's not true. We did a one-on-one torchbearer session, which actually turned out pretty well. Yeah, it did. But other than that, I don't think you have. Yeah, it's not something I've done a lot. Uh, so I think if your character is a little bit overpowered, then you are probably in a pretty good place. So what we did was we took three different archetypes to build this character, this character class. And the three different archetypes we chose were the bard, yes, the fool, yes, and the duelist, yes. Because we thought that those three things kind of represented what you wanted out of this character. The yes. bard makes you a very knowledgeable character. And I uh, wanted to sing songs, guys. Just, well, I mean, I probably won't. And I know it doesn't really fit with the character, but that's really what I wanted to do. Okay, I'm just saying. The bard character in Class Warfare doesn't actually have any of the song. Um, Ooh. I, I think that it's probably somewhere in the magician section. Yeah, probably. The bard under the adventures archetype only has like a lot of knowledge-based moves, a lot of charisma-based moves, which I think would be very appropriate for a character that was raised in nobility. Yeah. Right? This character has the capability of being very intelligent, very charismatic, right? Yes. You also wanted to play a character that was combat-capable, that was very skilled in, and I think we talked originally about this being like a secret aspect of your character, right? Yes. That she had kept away from her from her parents or from her whoever, her guardians. Yeah, just like being secretly trained or watching the warriors train and practicing what they do. Like, you know, Arya Stark wasn't actually, like, before going to King's Landing, wasn't supposed to know how to do any of that stuff, but she did. Yeah. Like, Belle wasn't supposed to know how to read in provincial France, but she did. Yeah, stick it to the man. Yeah, and Toph Bay Fong wasn't supposed to right. know how to fight, but she did. Um, and one thing that is similar between all those characters is they all learn how to fight on a very like one-on-one basis, right? Because they weren't formally trained for like warfare, right? They were trained for dueling. They were trained for defending themselves. They were trained for kind of sticking up for other people or, or taking on opponents one-on-one. And the duelist class does that very cool, very well, and in a very cool way. Um, one thing I really like about the duelist is that the duelist is very braggadocious, right? Which again, I think would fit with someone who was raised in nobility, like having a lot of faith in themselves, yes, thinking they can take on the world on yes. their own. And then the last one was the fool. Do you do you have anything you want to say on the fool? It just is really close to home. It's just <laughs> really, really close to home. There was, there was a move that the the fool has where it's like you say the very first thing that comes to your mind and we were thinking about changing the name and the only name I could come up with was just the Diana because <laughs> that's what Diana does. I just say the first thing that comes to my mind and often then have to backpedal and be like, wait, hold on. 
that's not that's not that's not what I meant. I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry. It's true. <laughs> um, yeah, and I liked the fool a lot because the fool gives the class an air of naivety. It kind of makes them very likable in a lot of ways. Makes them a little bit clumsy and a little bit silly in a good way. In like I said, like a very kind of naive way that I think is is very cool for the character balance, especially if we're looking at a character who was locked in her room for most of her adolescence and then comes out into the world and has a lot of book smarts, mm-hmm. maybe very charming, has some combat capability, but in a lot of the other a lot of other ways, maybe doesn't really know how to get around in the world. Elsa from Frozen. That was another person we talked about as yeah, because yeah, she was literally locked away. Yeah, but like, didn't have any people skills, but she knew how to ice things over. <laughs> that was a really bad attempt at a joke. It was pretty bad. I said, yeah, the fool, which is why this works. I think here we're gonna end. Uh, we're going to build your character at the start of the next session, and then kind of go into go into the first session. How's that sound to you? Cool beans. Sound good? Yes. Before we head out, there are a few things that I do want to plug. If I can find it. I got, I lost my place because I was looking up Will Freddy. Friedel. <laughs> Don't ruin him for me. So, uh, there are a few people I want to thank. I uh, want to thank Zach, who is not me, who is our editor and producer, without whom this would not be happening. Correct. Uh, I tried for months to figure out how to do even those basic of audio editing, and it gave me a migraine, and I wanted to break things. So, this would not be happening if, uh, if we didn't have someone helping us out. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Zach. Uh, we also want to thank In Love with a Ghost for the use of their song Chilling at Nemo's Place off of the album Healing. You can check that out on Bandcamp. It, the whole album is really cool. Their whole discography is really cool. And I was really thankful that they allowed us to use their uh, song for our theme. Yeah, it was definitely really cool of them to let us use it. And the music is really cool. Yeah, I love it. It's so boppy and cute. If you're interested in tagging along with us on this podcast, I know this is the first episode. It was kind of a lot of rambling, but we're going to be starting the story soon. And I'm really excited about the setting. I'm really excited about Diana's character. I think some cool things are going to happen. So if you want to follow along with us, please be sure to follow us on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Yeah. And if you could give us a review, that would be amazing. That would really help us out. You can also follow us on Twitter at at HeartPointsPod. And eventually we'll probably have a website, maybe? Probably. At at. At. At at. At at HeartPoints. At at HeartPoints. Follow us on Twitter at HeartPoints. It's just funny to say. At at. I'll stop. (laughs) At HeartPoints Pod. By the time this goes up, we might have a website. We might have a Facebook, maybe? Who knows? Um, We could own the world. The world is full of possibilities. We definitely do have a Twitter, and it's at HeartPoints Pod. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Just have, like, a really nice day, guys. Just, like, a really nice one. Have a good day, and we will see you in the next episode. don't have a good day. Have, like, a nice day. Okay, have a nice day. Just, like, a really nice one. (laughs) And we will see you next episode. See ya! See ya!